The reading is taken from John chapter 21, reading verses 15 to 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Sean. Should we pray? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come and amaze us afresh by your grace as we look at this story of Peter being reinstated. We ask that you would unleash the full power of your word by your spirit, that you would come and we would not just hear it, but that we would be deeply changed by your word as well. And so come and do what only you can do and help me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a meme on the internet that I love uh, called, you had one job. If you want to waste a lot of time on your lunch break, I recommend uh, looking it up. And basically it's how, you know, someone's been given a job that looked really easy, but then have managed to mess it up in a really epic way. So there's an image like this one uh, with a, staircase in the wrong place or um, the next one uh, please (laughs) I quite like that one please slow drively Um, or uh, the next one uh, school free drug zone it's a bit of a cheeky one isn't it but um, and these things make us say in despair you know you had one job maybe you can think of a colleague or a person about whom you think that Um, 
and you manage to mess it up somehow. Now, these are silly mistakes, but have you ever made a mistake that felt bigger than that? That felt so big, in fact, that you wondered, I'm not sure how I'm going to come back from this. Or maybe it wasn't a big mistake for you. Maybe it was that you were trusted with something and it's just bothering you that you failed or feel like you let someone down or messed things up. Maybe for you it's not that uh, you've made a big mistake recently, but you feel intense regret and shame by a mistake or a sin that you committed many years ago. If, like me, you sometimes struggle with feelings of shame, then today's message is for you. And what we see in our scripture reading this morning is the resurrected Jesus having a public conversation, quite deliberately, so the other disciples can hear, reinstating the Apostle Peter, calling him and powerfully commissioning him after the worst mistake of his entire life. Now, to really grasp the power of this moment, you really do need to go back and to see Peter's denials of Jesus as well, to really grasp the kind of sense of failure and shame that was hanging over his life at this point. And uh, in Luke chapter 22, it says this, starting at verse 55, it says, when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another test asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned. And this is the bit I want to just you to try and imagine. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, can you imagine the atmosphere and what Peter would have felt in that moment when the Lord looked at him in his moment of greatest failure? And then Peter remembered the words, before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So to really understand the reinstatement of Peter, we really do need to understand that context, the extent of his failure. Despite boasting that he would die for Jesus, Peter lets Jesus down in the very moment of Jesus' greatest vulnerability and when he would have probably needed his support the most. And can you imagine how terrible it must have felt to have the Son of God, the Messiah, to have God incarnate turn to you and look you straight in the eye in the moment of your biggest failure? It would be burned into your conscience, wouldn't it? And it's why this story is such an encouragement to us, isn't it? Because Peter has royally messed things up and Jesus meets him right where he is. It's not surprising as well that we're told that Peter didn't just weep, but that he went out and wept bitterly. And again, it's right into that context of bitter failure and shame that Jesus so graciously commissions Peter to lead the church. And that's why the title for today's message is Commissioned 
to make a difference. Commissioned to make a difference. And what I want to do is to look with you at how this commission that Jesus gives to Peter is how it reverses the shame that's in his life and empowers him to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And there's four steps to this commission in this passage, I think. Um, If we could have the slide for that, thank you. The first step is loving Jesus supremely. Second step is serving the church sacrificially. The third step to this commission is suffering bravely. And the fourth step is knowing your calling specifically. So loving supremely, serving sacrificially, suffering bravely and knowing specifically. So firstly, loving Jesus supremely. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Why does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? Jesus asks Peter this question because he knows that you can't hope to go and make a difference for God's kingdom if you love the opinions and the praise of other people or indeed anything else more than Jesus. Jesus is teaching that you won't survive church leadership, so there's a challenge for me in that, but you won't survive the Christian life more generally if your love for Jesus doesn't exceed absolutely everything else. Jesus is to be loved supremely and singly or not at all. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And by the Holy Spirit, he cuts to the heart of the issue and asks each of us the same question in effect, do you love me? Now, I do want to be clear, though. I don't think Jesus asks this question to shame Peter or to shame us. I think he's doing it to just be real about the amazing calling that God has for our life. Because, you know, what kind of God would we be worshipping if he was content to receive less than half of our obedience, less than half of our energy, less than half of our passion and love? That's not a Christianity I recognise. The living Jesus who died on the cross for us and rose from the dead longs to be loved supremely for all that he is and for all that he's done. The living Jesus longs to set our hearts on fire so that we would say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, whatever you want, I will do it. It's really revealing in this passage, I think, that Jesus doesn't actually call him Peter. I don't know if you noticed that, on whom Jesus said earlier in the Gospels, you know, you're Peter, you're this rock on whom I'm going to build the church. But no, here he just calls him Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. There's a vulnerability, I think, that Peter is putting, that Jesus is putting Peter in touch with before going forward, that it's only when Peter's heart is completely surrendered to Jesus that he's equipped and empowered to be the rock that Jesus promises he will be. That he doesn't have that rock-like quality in himself. It's not a natural ability. It's something that Jesus will make him by his grace. Now, it's worth pausing to ask at this point, why does Jesus appeal to love for him as the antidote to Peter's failure and shame? 
Why does this passage commend to us love to Jesus as the antidote to our failure and shame? Because you'd think Jesus could have said, you know, here are some practical uh, tips to help you to deal with next time you disown me. Here are some religious habits that will help you to avoid denying me in the future. But Jesus just doesn't do that, does he? Why? Because external behavioral modification is not enough to deal with the deep roots of sin and shame and regret. It just won't cut it. And in my experience, that's how religion deals with shame, actually. External behavioral modification and control. But it does not work. However, this language of love that Jesus commends to us well, language of love, it claims you on a much deeper level, doesn't it? And so Jesus appeals to Peter on that basis, on the basis of love. Do you love me? To which Peter replies in verse 17, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Only love from Jesus and to Jesus has the power to dislodge enslaving regret and shame from our hearts. And that's because love, it's a, a bit like shame in many ways, love goes right down deep into our identity. But love is more powerful and beats shame on its own terms because it tells me Jesus died for me not when I was at my best, but when I was at my absolute worst. And there's a Matt Redman song that gets it that says, our shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace is deeper still. And that's the essence of it. Uh, but contrary to how it's often presented on Netflix and social media and films, love does not decrease obligation, does it? Can you imagine if you got married and we all concluded that therefore there's less um, on uh, required of you now that you're married. It just doesn't work like that, does it? Love actually increases our obligation to obey. And the Apostle Paul expresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's saying that the love we receive actually increases the call on our life to obedience to the one who died for us. So being commissioned to make a difference is about loving Jesus supremely. It's absolutely foundational. But secondly, being commissioned to make a difference is about serving the church, serving God's people sacrificially, so in verse 16, it says, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, and here's the line I want to focus on with you, take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Now, on one level, this is a specific instruction to just to Peter but he's also teaching, I think, a really important principle that there's a connection between loving Jesus and loving and serving his people. 
There's a connection there. As one commentator put it, Jesus, is not, Jesus Christ is not a single person in the sense that he comes to us without other attachment. He is a married person. He comes to us with a bride whom he loves and for whom he sacrificed himself. Genuine New Testament conversion means not only turning to and accepting Christ, it also means turning to and accepting his bride, the church. In all of her weaknesses and failures, Jesus said, take care of my sheep. There is a focus that Jesus wants Peter, and I would submit to you, wants us to have on serving his people sacrificially. And personally, I remain unashamedly optimistic, positive and passionate about the future of Jesus's church. Because Jesus has told us quite plainly, hasn't he, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you want to make a difference in the world that echoes right through eternity, then you can resolve today, this morning, to serve the people of God. With all of our problems and divisions, the church remains, I passionately believe, the church remains the hope of the world, and St. Michael's remains the hope for this city. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking when you hear me say that. There'll be some of you who are thinking, well, the church has um, hurt me or failed me or is an embarrassment to me. So why should I serve this kind of hobbling motley crew of randomers? And the answer is that these people are Jesus's people. And that's no small thing, is it? These are Jesus' sheep. And therefore, to turn your back on them is also to turn your back on him as well. Now, serving God's people sacrificially, it's so not about paid church ministry, and thank goodness it's not. It's more a question of your heart and your time and the energy that you give and the relational investments you make. For example, when was the last time you practiced hospitality with God's people, if you're able to do that. So there's a love for Jesus and a love for his people that go together, I think, in this passage. Now, I started by saying that today's message is specifically for anyone who struggles with shame, and it is. And I I just say this, there's something dignifying and healing about being given a purpose to serve other people. If you're feeling full of shame or regret, that's almost entirely inward-focused, isn't it? But when you see that Jesus personally and individually calls and commissions you to sacrificially serve his people, well, that's a complete shame-killer, isn't it? That's a complete game-changer. You can see the power of this all over the place, but the people I always think of are often the people who get involved in serving in the army after living lives where, up until that point, that it, by many metrics, they've wasted their lives. But they're taught the value of service, and suddenly it can be the thing that completely transforms their life. But it's a huge shame killer to step into the individual calling to serve that Jesus has on your life. Because if he hasn't written you off from taking your place in the church, then why are you writing yourself off? 
So step two of being commissioned to make a difference is that we, church, we serve the church sacrificially. And that leads into the third step, and that is that we suffer bravely or suffering bravely. So starting at verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, it's really quite astonishing and challenging how quickly Jesus moves from reinstating Peter to immediately calling him to suffer for him. He says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. He's talking there about um, Peter's death by crucifixion. Um, Church history has it that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't see himself as being worthy to die the same way that his saviour Jesus had died. And Jesus is calling him to that right off the bat. He doesn't hide it from him. He's very upfront with him. And it's teaching this, I think, especially in a Western context, that where it's so easy for us to imbibe a false entitlement, I find anyway, I see this in myself, that as my life goes on and I get older that things can and should get easier and more comfortable for me. Do you recognise that in yourself? I know I do. I turned 35 the other day, which Nikki took great delight in informing me is now the beginning of middle age. Um, So I feel old now, but I I see this in myself all the time. Uh, But Jesus will have none of that entitlement. For For Peter, the path isn't one of increasing ease with age, It's quite the opposite, actually. The path is one of increasing pain and discomfort for the sake of God's call and God's mission. There's a huge encouragement in this as well, though, because notice Jesus says that though Peter's life will not be one of increasing comfort, it will nevertheless be through his death and suffering that he will bring glory to God. Peter will bring glory to God even in his later years. And for our older brothers and sisters in the faith, this is sobering, but it is also super encouraging, isn't it? Almost as if Jesus looks into your future and says, you can actually be like Abraham and Sarah. And your most fruitful and useful years to me are still to come. I wonder how you would live differently if you really knew that. But the challenge for those of us who are younger is to make sure we decisively reject now that um, Western lie that we're entitled to increasing comfort and ease as our life goes on. It's completely false. And Christianity, which is not sort of forthright about the cross that Jesus calls us to carry, is not true Christianity in the final analysis. So we suffer bravely. And the final step to being commissioned to make a difference is that we know our calling specifically. We know ourselves specifically and what God has called us to do. So starting at verse 20, it's this fascinating moment where Peter turned and sees John and he says, essentially, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? 
you must follow me. Jesus essentially says that is absolutely none of your business, Peter. We're presented here with a tension between God's call on Peter's life to suffer and eventually die and John's calling, which will involve living till he's an old man, facing his fair share of suffering too, but in many ways being this kind of sage who writes this incredible gospel that we've just been reading. Their callings could not look more different. And Jesus rebukes Peter for looking over to John and saying, well, what about his calling? Because comparison is unhelpful when it comes to this subject of calling, isn't it? It's an understandable reaction, but it's unhelpful. And Jesus is teaching that we mustn't do that when it comes to God's calling on different individuals in the church. As one commentator put it, the personal relationship between the Lord and individual Christians, including issues like the future form and sphere of their service, the degree of their obedience, or the quality of their contribution, is holy ground, sacred to the individuals concerned, we may not walk there unless with express invitation or clear obligation, and even then, only with the greatest sensitivity and reserve. I think that's absolutely right. He says, what is that to you? You must follow me. You must know your calling specifically and stick to that. And therefore, an overly kind of intrusive or nosy approach to someone else's journey and calling is completely ruled out by Jesus here, isn't it? John's called to live a long and reflective life. Peter's called to live a life on where the rubber hits the road with the church and a very different kind of life that will cost him his life. Both of them are faithful expressions of following Jesus. Both of them will bring glory to Jesus. And the caution here is to not expect everyone else's calling to look the same as yours. The beautiful truth here as well, though, is that God really does have an individual and specific plan for your life. I really believe that. And his intent, as with Peter, as with John, is that you and I would become trophies of his grace, that we would be signposts to his love. Now, I started by saying that today's message is for anyone who struggles with feelings of shame. And maybe the word for some of you this morning is this. Yes, you might have messed up badly in the past. And yes, owning up to that might be important for some of you. But if you struggle with feeling unworthy, let me tell you that all of us are unworthy. Nobody was more unworthy than Peter. And yet he came to Jesus in his brokenness and in his shame, and Jesus healed him and set him free. And it's the same promise for you and I. He received forgiveness from Jesus. He was commissioned by Jesus as utterly unworthy as he was, and there's so much hope for you and I because of that. And as we know, the church that he led went on to change the world. And so be encouraged that God is not finished with you or with me. His promises are absolutely true and absolutely trustworthy, and they are for you individually. And his calling on your life is totally 
and utterly unique and specific to you. And it may be that for some of you, your calling has been run roughshod over by somebody, maybe a lie that someone said to you or something that has um, stopped you pursuing what God has for your life. But remember that you're who God says you are. You can do what he says you can do. And it may be that that involves stepping into something new and taking a step of faith. And if that is you, I'd encourage you to pursue that. Let's pray um, as I finish. Lord Jesus, what amazing grace that you would not just forgive us, but that you would commission us to be your ambassadors. Please send your Holy Spirit now to eradicate shame, regret, and please apply the forgiveness and the blood of Jesus to any mistakes or shame that we are carrying. I pray you would amaze us with your grace afresh. Ask that you would expand our capacity to love you more and that in doing that, we would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.